Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have a guest. His name is Paul Rovelli. He's the author of a shit ton of books. <laughs> and uh, thanks for being on the show, Paul. My pleasure. I didn't know your last name. You make you an Italian, so uh, that makes us, you know, paisan. Yes, we are. And we're both from Jersey. I'm sorry? We're both from New Jersey, too. Oh, that makes you even more paisan. Yeah, I'm from... That means uh, you know what good pizza is. Oh, yeah. There yeah, you I'm, go. I'm from Princeton, but, you know, I'm also familiar with the uh, Italian section of Trenton, New Jersey. There you go. That It works anyway. I'm, I've now moved to New York State. I live near the Vermont border, and it is very hard to get a decent pizza around here. There's two pizzerias that I kind of trust a little bit, but they're inconsistent. Yeah, I live in Alabama. Believe it or not, there's a pizza place in my town that used to be owned by the Gambino family. <laughs> Which would make a good pie. My wife is from Alabama. Really? Yeah. What part? Northern Alabama, Tony. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm about as south as you can get. I'm like uh, by the Gulf Shores. Shores. We keep getting go. hit I, by I, uh, hurricanes. Oh, I was going to say, I hope the weather's been treating you okay. No, we got hit bad by Sally, and it looks like there's another one on the way. Yeah, yeah, we saw that today. But it's what it is. So um, let's talk about some of your books. The one I downloaded and was checking out was uh, Thelema and the Secret Doctrine. It looks like you have it in three volumes. Yes, I, well, I have Theosophy and Thelema in three doctrine, in okay. three volumes. Uh, Thelema and the Secret Doctrine is volume one. Thelema and Isis Unveiled is volume two. And Thelema and the Zohar is volume three. Awesome. So um, can you give my listeners uh, a little bit of an overview uh, on these books and how they came about? Well, yes, Um I probably first attempted to read The Secret Doctrine when I was a teenager, and I'm talking the 1970s. Uh, really didn't understand it. The beginning kind of mystified me, and I was lost from there. As I studied metaphysics more and more, I, I had decided to revisit uh, the books, uh, oh, I guess about five years ago, if I remember clearly, and... Um, maybe now, actually, I've got to say about 10 years ago now, because um, just in, in the time sequence of my head, 10 or more years ago, and I took to it. I started writing notes as I was reading it. It, it, it was just a, a mind-blowing experience for me, and I had a private e-group uh, where I started comment writing those comments into the e-group. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got those comments online on our website, and they're really nothing like the book because I look at those comments and I go, man, I, I really said some stupid stuff here. But, <laughs> you know, I took those as the beginning material for the book. I corrected, rewrote, added, that kind of thing, subtracted. And uh, so the book came about uh, 
as I read it, I began to understand uh, that Blavatsky was really uh, intimately uh, connected with uh, McGregor Mathers of the Golden Dawn, and a lot of what she had to offer really forms uh, the inner order knowledge of the Golden Dawn, which Crowley readily absorbed. And it seems even the Golden Dawn orders that exist today have lost any any uh, comprehension of or apprehension of. Uh, but as I read, I realized this stuff, you know, she's talking about Thelema. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, for me, I, I, I like to consider myself pretty knowledgeable about Thelema. And as I'm reading this, I'm saying, well, if I, if she was alive today, I'd be calling her a Thelemite. So I knew I had to write this and, and kind of put it out there and hope that for those that do read it, and it's sold a little bit, um, I hope that those that do read it begin to see that both Theosophy and Thelema are in their true form very uh, compatible systems because they're almost the same thing. Um, the idea of most Thelemic groups and most theosophical groups are a world apart, but I would be the first one to grotesquely criticize both every Thelemic group that I just about know about there and every theosophical group that I just about know about there, uh, because I don't think the people running these groups have the least understanding of, of the material they're dealing with. You can take that with its own grain of salt because I've got my critics. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do these two philosophies and techniques, uh, what do they have in common and what do they have that's different or separates them? Okay, well, first let's define theosophy. Okay. It's um, the ecstatic communication with the divine. That's really, uh, I wouldn't say a verbatim definition, but you would not have trouble finding definitions that talk about theosophy in that way. And indeed, would not ecstatic ritual communicating with prior natural intelligence, uh, the way Lavatsky um uh, received uh, the Book of Zion, the way Crowley's received his holy books, wouldn't both of these processes be Gnostic processes? Being the leader of the Gnostic Church uh, today, um, I uh, started to see that these uh, you know, are truly the same thing. They're going after uh, magic in the exact same way. As a matter of fact, Blavatsky and, and Crowley, uh, their techniques may have been different, but what they were trying to do was identical. And I would describe Thelema again as, uh, you know, ecstatic communication with the divine. Simply in Thelema, they would call that uh, the holy guardian angel or the experience, the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel. Uh, Whereas in Theosophy, um, they've kind of switched into, you know, sort of a learning mode. They're all about, you know, um, intellectually educating themselves. Okay. Um, like I, I do know like, like a little bit, you know, about like the golden tawn type of stuff where you're, you know, they're doing like, you know, banishing rituals and, and using Enochian magic to try to communicate with angels. And, and also like, I know that they've taken from, I think it's the book of Abramelin. Is that the one that connects you with the higher self? Yes. Um, so I know like that end of it, but I don't know Blava- 
Blavatsky's side of how she approaches it. Okay. Um, Blavatsky, I think, would just simply say that uh, you're communicating with the divine. Um, while she recognizes the golden dawn idea of the holy guardian angel, um, which Thelema takes, I think, more readily to heart than does the golden dawn, um, she, I, I just don't think she she um, uh, cares about the label. Not that she doesn't care for the label, but that you know that 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 label is something that really sticks with her. I think she would say, "In your ecstasy, you will gain uh, you know preternatural contact or um, contact with the hidden Mahatmas, as she would call them." And Crowley would say that you would gain that contact with the secret chiefs kind of just, uh, you know, uh, putting his own spin on it. So they just, just different terminolo ter terminology. Um, Certainly. How, how about and as far as technique of uh, making that contact? Well, here's where that gets very difficult. Uh, I do not believe today that in any of these Thelemic or Golden Dawn groups, and for that matter, theosophy, but leave, we'll leave them out of the equation for the moment. Uh, I don't believe that there is an adept in any of these groups, number one. Number two, while they're really good at constantly reminding us of beginner um, uh, beginner techniques, and they keep rewriting the same books over and over again, decade after decade, which is one of my problems with the uh, ever-popular Lon Milo Duquette, um, the, you know, they never ever get to an advanced or even an intermediate level of discussion and writing. And certainly all my books are at least at the intermediate level. Right. I, I always sort of thought like maybe the reason they, 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 they stop at a certain point is because the rest of it was supposed to be secret. Um, that's a, you know, maybe a convenient excuse for the groups themselves. And that's rather condescending when you think about it. Um, but the reality is, first of all, these guys don't know because they would tell if they knew. Um, and second, there's no market for intermediate material. Nobody really gets past the beginner material. Uh, they are usually attacking that in their early 20s. By their mid to late 20s, they're getting married, making babies, and they're done with all these kiddie games. You know, that's really, really where it's at. Hmm. You know, the few people that reach middle age in the Thelema are, you know, people like Lon Milo Duquette, who's really, you know, a member of the um, uh, the book publishing club called the OTO and you know, they're just slipping him a few bucks so that, you know, he can make some money. So they publish him, right. and, and he's just in, the latest in a line of others, Martin star, uh, one other name I can't think of right now, but these guys, you know, each get their turn, their ninth degrees, they get their turn at making some money because the leadership is taking money, you know, out of the, the, uh, the dues kiddie pool to, you know, give themselves salaries and all sorts of perks and, you know, buying Crowley artifacts and stuff like that. And, you know, it's essentially ripping off their membership. Now that's in the Thelemic side of the equation, you know, on the golden dawn side of the equation, um, there's just been no inner order links that have ever communicated forward. And the few, um, 
Zaluskis and the Ciceros that seem to have emerged in the publishing club really have more positive relations with the uh, OTO publishing service because they control uh, metaphysical publishing in, in the United States at least. And um, they, uh, you know, and they've never written anything beyond a beginner's book on anything because nothing else is going to make money in the publishing industry. You know, whenever you read the serials, it was like they were just republishing, uh, Israel Regardi stuff. Oh, yeah, over and over and over again. And that's what the Zaluskis did. That's what uh, Don Milo Duquette did. Martin Starr did. Um, I wish I could think of the other guy's name at the moment, but I can't. Um, these guys, are, you know, are just really get great at rewriting stuff into their own words. And, and, and you know, not that some of that is all terrible. I can think of a couple of other authors alive and dead that have done the same thing. And, and we're good writers. They communicated material where, say, uh, Crowley's writing uh, is a bit obtuse. You know, it requires a little bit more of an educated mind to, to have the patience to read. Because Crowley wouldn't suffer a fool. He expected you to be well-educated. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I can grant them that. But really what they're trying to do is just capture a generation of 20-year-olds. So that, you know, because this is the time they have to spend money and, and, and chase frivolous pursuits. You know, and, and they love to hear that they're great magicians just by, you know, paying their dues. And, you know, and then they can run around and all play Dungeons and Dragons together. Well, how about the real seeker? You know, the person who's really seeking spiritual enlightenment or a person who really wants to know the mysteries of reality. Those people will come through those beginner organizations and they will grow. They will uh, leave those organizations, having come through them, uh, recognizing them for what they are, and they will go off on their own, and they will find, uh, you know, some deeper learning, and they'll know to stay away from these guys. These guys will attack you once you've left them. They're all cults in one way or another, and they're greatly offended when you leave them and you fail to stroke their ego any longer. Um. Well, most of these organizations, too, they all sort of have um, a Masonic connection. They claim that, but they don't. And if they actually understood the Masons, as Blavatsky clearly asserts, the Masons are just the Jes have been taken over by the Jesuits, you know, more than 100 years ago. There's really nothing left of original Masonry anywhere. Hmm. Um. So what groups are out there that are, are legitimate and take it to the next level? Um, I, I, can't, I can't really cite any. You know, I mean, obviously I would cite my own uh, situation here, but it's not necessarily a group, or at least where the Gnostic Church has a lodge in its interior, the Gnostic Church of Light, um, we don't really have anybody really there. Uh, certainly my own work in the AA uh, has me working with some really top-notch people that have come through this, but we don't form a group. We don't form an order in, per se. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of the quality people really kind of go off on their own, and 
you know, are very quiet about it. They, you know, they're not interested in getting to meet you. So it's mostly sort of like solitary practitioners. Um, I, I, I hesitate to want to say it in that way, but I guess, you know, putting the gun to my head, that's what I would say. Um, because obviously a true Kabbalist, if you understand the Kabbalah, a true Kabbalist does not work alone, does not work in solitary. But, you know, I mean, uh, how many times can you, you know, show up for, um, you know, a kindergarten class and, you know, be looking for an in-depth analysis of the history of the United States? You know what I'm saying? Eventually yeah. you just go home by history book and you, you leave the kindergarten class alone. Right. You know, so uh, in sometimes in some cases, these people meet in some cases, these people do work together, maybe informally where they, you know, years ago before the internet, we exchanged letters. So that for those of us that were working, shall we say, in higher levels, and I'm not going to claim that, you know, we're adepts or what have you, but at least we're working on, on, on an intermediate level and we're sharing information with each other. Today, we don't have to write letters. We can kind of stumble across each other online and share emails and other private modes of communication. Um, and there's a lot I can give you on that in the history of the, the old letter writing days. but. Um, they, they managed to connect, they managed to speak to one another, share ideas, trade information, and, and, and grow. And uh, they, they make that progress not in isolation then, but, you know, um, just in informal connection. Interesting. Um, so now, like, with the internet, I, I mean, it's obviously, it is much easier um, for people to connect. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I have come across, like, like for example, let's say the Golden Dawn. There seems to be like 20 different organizations claiming to be the Golden Dawn. Yes. How do you know which one's legit? None of or them. None of them Just are. Just make that assumption right off the bat. You know, let me let me give you sort of a political analysis. You know, I, I hate both uh, operating political parties in the United States equally. When I listen to the Democrats, they tear apart everything and show the lies and the misrepresentations of the Republicans. When I listen to the Republicans, they clearly show the lies and misrepresentations of the Democrats. Sitting as an objective observer, what do you learn? You learn that both of them are lies and misrepresenting the situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And this is what's going on with all of these groups. All of these groups run around persecuting each other, yelling, my daddy is bigger than your daddy. You know, uh -huh. and if you disagree with them, they act like children. They get as angry as, as spoiled little brats and stamp their feet. You're not allowed to have dialogue and communicate and challenge each other in debate. Right. One of the one of the things that we have now that that I didn't have access to, like like in my twenties, I didn't have access to a whole lot of stuff. You know, I mean, I right. could buy like a deck of tarot cards. I could maybe get the uh, you know the Golden Dawn manual, a couple of Israel Guardi books, or 
Crowley books, but there wasn't a whole lot of original material out. Um, now, still pe- isn't. It, well, now people can like purchase things like the three books of occult philosophy, the key of Solomon. Um, but wait a minute, I could purchase the, um, I been transcendental magic by Eliphaz Levy. Yeah, but I have been purchasing all those things since the seventies. I've, yeah. I've bought all those things on my, have all those things on my shelves for 50 years now. Well, I certainly wasn't able to buy them at uh, Barnes and Noble. <laughs> well, no, I was fortunate enough to live near the Magical Child in New York, um, which was a you know very famous occult house, both as publishing and as book selling uh, in Manhattan. But they also sold worldwide. If you knew of the Magical Child and Herman Slater, um, you you know you could just write to him. You could get his catalog, um, and and he did a whole mail order business around the world. Oh. You know, so that stuff was all there. Today, what we have is a is a, a tremendous opportunity to communicate with each other through th- things like Facebook and and other social media. But the problem is Facebook and all the other forms of social media don't have editors. So your uneducated opinion is as important as my educated opinion. And since 99.9% of the people are uneducated, they will shout down the one educated guy. He's fading out. He's going away. Unless you're obnoxious like me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so for somebody who's interested in starting on this path, where would you tell somebody to start? With your intuition. Yeah, the one question I hate on all these Facebook groups, I'm new to Thelema. What book should I buy first? You dummy, you're not smart enough for Thelema yet. Okay? If you can't sit down there, if you don't have some inner drive inside of you that says, wow, that book kind of gets my curiosity. I think I'll buy that one first. Then you read it and you go, maybe you'll say, oh, that was a really stupid book. Let me try this one now. Yeah, in the same way, joining these magical orders. Well, you know, I got burned by a few of them. Some of them really committed all sorts of really uh, um, uh, uh, terrible things that they did to me. You know, some of that being truly criminal. Uh And, um, you know, but you got to learn your way through it. You got to go through it uh, to know what's out there to, you know, have that experience to, to know when you get to the right place. Cause if you get to the right place too early, you may not have the tools. They may not be interested in you. Right. So I've recently had a guy on Facebook approach me saying that he was a member of the Illuminati and, <laughs> asked, and asked me if I wanted to join. So I, I played along with them a little bit, you know, and, uh, you know, he said that if I joined the Illuminati, that, that I would get access to all kinds of secret and fame and money and all, all this shit. And, and, you know, in my response to him was in, in the end, I was like, I really don't care about any of that. Well, you know, you know, let's, let's, let's put it together logically. For why would I want that if I'm actually just trying to seek, you know, a connection with the spiritual realm. Why would I want money and shit like that? If yeah. It's well, like the let's, opposite. Let's put, let, 
let's put the whole thing together uh, logically for a second. Because a lot of people think, you know, they buy these grimoires and they think that, you know, they're going to get the high holy blow job. They're going to Winnebago and a free vacation to Hawaii because they did magic. And let's just pretend that the first person comes along and figures out how to do this. He's going to get all the money he wants. Well, you're not going to stop until you have all the money. You're not going to stop until you're king of the world and the most loved and adored person on the planet. And you're not going to let anyone cut in on that. So it's over if that's what it's really about. This is where Mercury the trickster comes into play. He may grab our purient interests, and for the moment, he may you know, fool us into thinking it's possible, but then he turns the tables on the people that are you know, a little bit smarter and a little bit more worth the effort, and he says, this is what it's really about. Fooled you once, but now I'm giving you the, you know, the right stuff because you figured out that I fooled you. So... It's not about money. And these Illuminati people are scam artists. They're snake oil dealers. Eventually, they want your money. You, you know, it's nothing more than, um, you know, these uh, Christian uh, groups. Uh, what do they call them? The, uh, you know, the, the get wealthy Christian groups. Can't think of the word right now. Evangelicals? Um, no, but it's a subset of the evangelicals. The uh, prosperity gospel people. You know, they teach it. You're you're going to get three times back from God what you donate to the church. <laughs> it's a beautiful system when you think about it. The one guy at the top is getting rich. Everybody else is going broke. And by the time they figure out that you've lied, they're already broke. You got their money. See ya. Yeah. There's, there, there's a lot of that here in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it, they're, they're all conning you. There's, there isn't a televangelist out there that isn't nothing but a con artist. So once we get past all that, though, um, like you said, you say for people to follow their intuition. Yes. Um, I, like, I know when I was younger, I didn't trust my intuition because I used to make so many mistakes, you know, as, as a kid, like as an adult, obviously now that I'm like an old man, you know, you know, obviously like I, I know like this Illuminati guy, I'm like right away. I knew he was full of shit. Yeah. But we're not talking just about the intuition of figuring out who are the assholes on this planet. You know, that intuition, you know, you said when we spoke before, you said that you were a Buddhist. Yes. Something drew you to the first book that you read on Buddhism. Yeah. So I would say your intuition took you exactly where you needed to go. Oh, actually, I, the story is kind of funny because Buddhism, uh, you know, it was a, one thing I was like, we were talking earlier too. I, I do kind of consider myself well read. And right. one day I realized, I said, you know what? I've never read anything about the Dalai Lama. So I went out and I bought this book called, um, how to see yourself as you really are. And I read it and I was really fast. I said, wow, this really makes sense. You know, maybe I can try it out. So I, I poked around my neighborhood. I found a Buddhist um, nun who, who taught meditation and ran a Buddhist group. And, you know, I learned from her and, and I just kind of took off from there. But 
But you see, your intuition was perfectly at play there. And all the tomfoolery in your teenage years, et cetera, or your childhood or whatever uh, regarding intuition, all was your training to develop that intuition. Yeah, you made lots of mistakes. The intuition is not this magical thing that can send you down the perfect path first. You know, as I tell people, follow your heart. It may take you down some dark roads, but it will never take you down the wrong road. <laughs> you know? I like that. And eventually, you're going to find that one little thing, and, oh, that title really caught me something about that. That's your intuition to play. Right? Yeah. So you read the book and you go, wow, I want to get more out of this. So, you know, geez, when, when you know, uh, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appeared. Wow, you found this Buddhist nun. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, and it was awesome. That way so, for every serious seeker. Yes, yeah, it's the be idiots, you know. I got some, you know, guy that wrote me recently. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really hoping that, you know, when I joined the OTO, they would tell me what to do. Hell, the OTO even will tell you themselves they're not a teaching order. Yeah, it's the blind leading the blind. So, yeah. so with the, the groups like with the OTO, they do have, um, you know, the initiation grades, but so those don't actually teach anything. Like when like a person starts out as a neophyte and then moves up, they give you. They give you minor lessons. You really start out as a, uh, you know, a, a brother or a sister, you know, or something like that. I forget what it is in the Minerval grade. You know, by the time you get to grade three, they call you a master magician. All that's happened is you paid your dues. You learned to let them dunk you naked in, the in, in a tub of water, and you've learned to stand naked in front of the group. That's all, you know, and, the, and a couple of little minor moral lessons that they give you in between, and that's literally about it. What, they, what that is is a graduated system of saying, you're one of us now. You're more, with each initiation, you're more one of us than other people who haven't gotten this far yet. That's the making of a cult. It's all about us and them. That's what cults are about. They are the profane. We're the really cool, holy people. Now pass the drugs and let's see if we can find ourselves a pretty decent looker, hooker, looking hooker among the group here. <laughs> then we'll all fuck her and we'll all tell congratulate each other and how holy we are. Hmm. Yeah, that's literally what's going on. They are allowing felons and, and other low and rapists and other sorts of things as their lodge leaders. They've been doing that over the years because they let everybody in. So anybody can get in. Nobody has to prove themselves. Nobody has to prove themselves on anything. Or and when, pass you take any your first, when you take your first degree, you have to swear an oath that you will always take a, a, a fellow uh, order member in off the street. doesn't matter that that order member is a racist, a rapist, or, or, or a felon of any sort. When he comes in there, he's going to rape your ass or your wife's ass, or uh, he's going to steal all your belongings. You've just sworn an oath to the order and you know they'll tell you Thelema is dangerous so that when you're fucking the hooker and you end up getting AIDS well you know Thelema is dangerous you knew that sex magic is a dangerous thing didn't you I guess with the wrong partner definitely is well it's a prescription for disaster because nobody's been checked out yeah you know it's not like you know supposedly the mason but listen I was a master mason up to a point they don't check out your background either 
Hmm. Okay, it's too expensive to do a background check. Yeah. Okay, they're not wasting money on everybody that's just say no. They want your dues money. Interesting. Um, so in the process, though, of, of magic and mm-hmm. in trying to connect with the, you know, a higher realm, um, one of my questions that, and I always ask everybody this, magicians, mediums, whatever, mm-hmm. how do you know that you've made a spiritual connection and it's not your imagination? If you don't know that you've made a legitimate spiritual connection and that it's not your imagination, you haven't. Um, If you've somehow managed to delude yourself without having done the requisite work, uh, then you're just nuts. Mm -hmm. And how does an idiot or a nut, and that's two different types of people, right? One is stupid and the other one's crazy. How do those people recognize themselves? They don't. Right? So, you know, find the prescription for getting the work done. And let me tell you, whether we're talking theosophy or thelema, whether we're talking uh, um, any other spiritual pursuit, and and there are certain types of Buddhism that are certainly uh, parallel where there are other types that aren't. Um, there are certain types of uh, Sufism and you know in Islam that are compatible, where most of Islam isn't. Um, in all of these things, they require an education, and more than just an education, they want to know that you've read all the holy books and all the commentaries on the holy books in that sort of thing. They want to know that you're educated, that you understand, you know, European and American literature, that you've read the great philosophers, that you know what the arts are, and you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a Mozart opera as much as you know a Beethoven sonata, as much as you can understand, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a, a Who opera. You know, um, you know, going into modern times in rock and roll, they want to know that you've read some of the great poets and, and, you know, the histories of the world and, you know, of the great cultures and the Rosicrucians, that you have a liberal arts education. Because if you don't have all of that, you're just a pretender. True. Um, well, actually, like when learning that, is, do you think um, that requires higher education as a college, or, or do you think like people like, like, like me, like I've just been reading this stuff for like 40 years on my own? Well, I would say in 40 years on your own, if you've been truly reading all of that kind of material, you've got a college education. You just don't have a formal college education. Now, I have a formal college education. But if I had, if I had been living on just what I read back in those days, I'd probably be a near idiot. I've been reading for the, let's see, I graduated college in 1984. So think of how many years, 94, 204, 214. I've been out of college 35, 36 years, right? right? So I've continued my college education in all that time. You know, and you know, I've read and filled in the blanks and worked around and did the things that I didn't have time to do in the, you know, in the four or five years I was in school, you know, and indeed a good liberal arts education should teach you that 
on graduation day, your education had just begun. Now keep reading, keep researching, fill in the background. Absolutely. And also keep experiencing. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a whole lot of lessons to be learned just in experiencing the ups and downs of life and, yeah. and you know, um, trying to, uh, you know, like, like people, I think, tend to, they, they, they drift into living sheltered lives rather than going out and, and challenging themselves. Imagine when the 25 or the 35-year-old writes to me and tells me he's an adept. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm talking to a fool at this point. What am I going to do with him? You Nothing. Know? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give his name to the Illuminati. Here, talk to these guys. They're looking for <laughs> people just like you. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really true. I've had these, you know, I can't tell you over the years how many people have written to me and telling me they're an addict. And then, of course, they sit on these uh, uh, Facebook groups and everything. They tell you they're an addict or they imply it heavily, of course. And, um, you know, or the minions around them tell you that they're addicts. And all they really do is abuse you. Yeah, nobody needs that. Yeah. So many people are ready to do it. Oh, I believe in you. Please beat my ass. Hmm. See, I never, I've always kind of had the, well, not always, but I would say maybe the last 30 years, since I've been about, yeah, well, 30 years old, you know, if, if somebody tells me that they know something, I automatically, you know, like, I'm like, they don't know. Yeah. A real person who's, who's a seeker in this type of, of, of realm, you have to be, well, you don't have to be, but um, one of the natural qualities of it is not knowing. And that's why you continue the path. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's even more interesting than that. This might come across as a little bit crude. I hope it doesn't. But, you know, let's see, I'm, I'm just about 60 years old. Um, I got laid for the first time about 43 years ago. Would I have to come to say, oh, by the way, we just met. I just want to let you know, uh, you know, I'm not a virgin. <laughs> okay. No, I don't have to walk around, nor do you, nor does anyone else, you know, of any adult age. Um, you know, this has already happened. It's not important. I don't have to prove it to you. You're just going to assume it by how I act. You know, the 40-year-old virgin, we're going to find that one person out real quick. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to tell. You know, he's still blushing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so in the same way, when this guy comes up to me and says, well, you know, I'm an adept. You know, and well, now I know the one thing that you're not. As a matter of fact, in the Western mystery tradition, and both uh, Crowley and Blavatsky will tell this to you in one way or another, um, anybody who admits that they're an adept um, isn't. That's the one thing we know right away. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And I, and I think that's true in all areas <laughs> yes. of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So let's talk about Milo Duquette, the self-proclaimed adept. 
I guess the book of Zion, like I, I mentioned earlier, I, uh, that's like one that I have read and it was, you know, it was pretty easy to read. Um, and, I, and I've also read some of uh, Crawley's book of law too. Okay. And to me, I don't think there's a huge difference between those two texts as far as the meaning goes. Um. The Book of Zion is much more of a, an ontological um, description of the, the formation of consciousness, whereas Liber Al is more of a, um, a psychopolitical, you know, and when I say psycho, I mean psychological, political uh, text in certain ways. While it does contain some metaphysical truths and secrets, um, it's it's very very different from the Book of Zion. I would probably compare the Book of Zion closer to Liber, uh, to Crowley's uh, holy book called um, Liber Tetragrammaton. Mm -hmm. And there you'll find on our AA website, you'll find a comparison between those books directly. As a matter of fact, I do a very brief interpretation of the book of Zion also on our main website. If you want, write me later and I'll send you some links. Oh yeah, definitely email me those and I'll post them in the notes of this episode. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Definitely be curious to look at that. Um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this one right. Because we, we, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. The the, the book of Urantia. Urantia, yes. Um, I really don't deal with those, you know, pseudo Christian mystical books. You know, I just have no respect for them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have no respect for Christianity. I have no respect for mainstream religion. Whatever might be good, whatever pieces and bits of all these mainstream religions might be worthwhile are covered over with years and eons worth of garbage, and you're just going to get sucked up into the garbage, no matter how well a place you start out in. Hmm. Yeah, the way I found that book, like I had never even heard of it until I was reading a, a biography on Jimi Hendrix. And apparently okay. he was really into it. So that's what uh -huh. made me check it out. And yeah. as far as reading the actual book, I, I couldn't do it. It was just, you know, it's like read, it's like trying to read the Bible. You know, not gonna, I'm not going to spend that much time on one piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's another document that's kind of good in bits and pieces. But, you know, the whole thing taken together is a joke. Right. And, um, but what I found interesting was that, you know, how it was written by not just one medium, but by like a group of channelers. Yeah. You know, the channeler sits there and says, well, you know, your dead grandmother's talking to me and she's telling you, you better be a good boy now. You know, it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, Crowley is very clear when it comes to preternatural uh, communication. He says, it must be proven. He, in the Book of the Law, uses Kabbalistic technique to validate the veracity of the transmission. 
And how did you do that? that? He says is essential because otherwise, you know, you remember Ramtha? No. You're not old enough for Jay-Z Knight and Ramtha. Jay-Z Knight was this con artist, new age woman that came uh, out of the Shirley MacLaine school. And Shirley MacLaine was a great actress who turned new age and it got all silly. And, you know, she would pretend to go into a trance, Jay-Z Knight, and she would channel this 5,000-year-old Egyptian uh, warrior uh, with a really bad English accent. And, um, you know, and, and, and he would tell her amazing things, you know, and everybody would listen. You know, finally, he told her to buy a bunch of horses and a horse ranch. So with her, you know, nonprofit organization, she bought a horse ranch and got a tax deduction. You know, I mean, and she's still making money. Look up Jay-Z Knight online. I mean, it's a pure joke. You know, um, these channelings you know the spiritualist groups you you may have one in your town you don't even know about they rent the basement of the church uh, once a month on sunday night and they get together and they meet and they all channel each other's grandmother you know it's silly you know and you know just because somebody tells you it's a pride or natural thing. And then let's come back to Jimi Hendrix for a minute. Who died and made, made Jimi Hendrix the Messiah? Why do we even need a Messiah? Is Crowley and Blavatsky a Messiah? Because if they are, if you're telling me that you follow Crowley or that you love Crowley, you're just telling me you're a fool. Mm-hmm. You know, the same would go for the followers of Blavatsky, uh, Buddha, Krishna, Jesus. It's it's all foolishness. You know, I'm sorry. My main objection to Buddhism is, you know, I'm going to seek the Buddha out and I'm going to shelter with the Buddha, you know, uh, until I get my own enlightenment. Mm. You know, what are you sheltering from? Yourself? Well, I think that would defeat the purpose. I think the idea of Buddhism is to, well, once recognize you know to look inward but eventually you realize that there's no self in no other well see now i say the opposite there is the self and there is the other mm-hmm. and it's that union that is the is the holy sacrament and you oh. get to the transcendental point beyond self and other right i think it's the same thing just yeah, one, we one, can, one, we're one, arguing semantics one, one, yeah one, one defines it as nothingness one can define it as wholeness or whatever. Yeah. You like know, I said, there are some really thing. good, there are really some good Buddhist sects that I really, really, uh, I think are worthwhile. You know, they, they come down to what is, uh, you know, the white, uh, the black and the yellow magics. The black magic is, is nothing more than the uh, uh, establishment religions connected to temporal authority, the government. Um. And they got control of the world. And Sounds they, like the local churches and yes, crap like that. All your local churches, depending on what society you're in, whether that's if you're in Christian society here in the States and Europe, that's one thing. If you're in Islamic society in the Middle East, that's another thing. If you're you know, in the Far East in a Buddhist society, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the white magic is follows the philosophy of dualism, whereas the yellow magic follows the philosophy of monism. Some strains of Buddhism are, are monist and some strains are dualist. Certainly Thelema is dualist. I would argue that Golden Dawn tends to be mystical Christianity. It's more black. 
Um, and, you know, and then there are some strains of Buddhism. Even Blavatsky was more of a yellow school person in, in and of herself. These three schools are viable. There's nothing evil or good or indifferent about them. It's just which school you want to go to and what, what you're hoping, where you're hoping to get to as an individual. So from a Kabbalah point of view, would that be viewed as like a, a left path, right path, and a, and a middle path? Uh, there is no left, right, or middle path. I, I'm okay. sorry. I'm always going to argue against you on that. Um, there is no such thing as a left, right, or middle path. Okay. Um, there is simply uh, the path inward. And that's it. You know, so um, the Kabbalah, you know, you can use it in contemporary Judaism, and then you're basically following, you know, the black school of magic. You can use it the way uh, Thelema should be using it, although not all Thelemites are really following the white school. They're, they're really more into the black school, too. Um, you can use it, though, from the, the Thelemic perspective, and it's a white perspective. You can use it from the way the Theosophers, or I should say really Blavatsky, because the Theosophy, uh, Blavatsky was well betrayed by theosophy shortly after she died. Um, uh, you could use it though in that way and then you're following the yellow school. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing inherently evil. When we start believing in evil, then again, we're back to cult kind of ideas. You're evil because you don't believe what I believe and I'm good because I believe what I believe and now I have the right to do anything nasty I want to do to you because you're evil. Yeah, I, I I think like plus we we live in like like the, the the dimension that we live in is dualistic by nature. Yeah, which puts you in the white school. Right. So, so because it's dualistic, you have to like like I I can't just accept one part or the other, right? You gotta well, take the whole package. Yeah, well, you know, this, the philosophy of dualism kind of says there is, you know, shall we say heaven and earth, okay? The yellow school kind of says they're really both the same thing, okay? It makes no difference in a certain sense, okay? And the black school says there, you know, there's, there's authority, and that's how we bring order to the world. Right. So I, I would probably fall somewhere in the white and yellow schools, I probably yeah. would. I probably go back and forth between those two ideas. I don't seem to actually hold on to one specifically. I don't know that you have to. I mean, if I had to describe myself, I'm holy white school, but that doesn't mean you might not find something yellowish and blackish somewhere inside of me. You know, we're not purely any one thing or another. Yeah, like I definitely don't like authority, so. <laughs> or order. Well, yeah, I don't like it. I don't trust authority. And yet I find that, you know, authority emanates from me in a certain sense. Um, you know, I think when we know something, we should be authoritarian. We should build up a certain order around us. You know, I run a Gnostic church. So in that, you know, I'm going to allow some forms of behavior and I'm not going to allow other forms of behavior in order to keep the church, you know, wholesome. Right. You know, um, and that's authoritarian. 
you know, uh, but nevertheless, I'm going to come in and say, you know, we're really managing a group of anarchists because Gnosticism teaches that, you know, there is no moral code except for what you create for yourself out of your own experience. Hmm. You know, we may both decide not to commit murder and understand that murder is a bad thing because it would destroy society if we allowed it. Uh -huh. And we need society to, in order to function. Um, so we might arrive at a lot of the same opinions. But on the other hand, um, you may decide to have an abortion with your partner and, and, and another person may not. And you may decide for yourself you don't like abortion. Another may decide, hey, abortion is fine. Yeah. You know, and so these decisions, rather than having a church say, well, you can't have any abortions and you can't be gay and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and, and you know, and do not, uh, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Yeah, I've never understood why people put so much energy into controlling other people. Like, why when, do you care? Like, who cares? When the spirit has left the temple, morality rushes in to fill the void. What's that what do these churches all teach you? Do this, don't do that. Yeah. You know, and that's all morality. So it's not so much that people want to control you. If you don't follow church teachings, you're not moral. You're now a threat to them. Well, I'm definitely don't follow what they say. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but don't let them know that for your own safety. I, I've always just sort of considered myself a free thinker. Yeah. Again, don't let them know that for your own safety. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have this podcast, so they all know I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> you you would be amazed at how non-informed almost everybody is. I don't know about that. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I've sat, you know, Thelema is the most intellectual of all the systems out there. Um, you could go on Thelemic group after Thelemic group after Thelemic group, and I am 99% of the posting on that group. The rest of it, you know, the rest of these people, they'd suffer to come up with an idea. They could put up a couple of memes once a year, but all they have is somebody else's quote. They're they're second-handers. They've never written an original thing on their own. They've never had a unique thought. They're just following Crowley. Hmm. Crowley did it for me. I don't have to do anything. Jesus did it for me. I don't have to do anything. Buddha did it for me. I don't have to do anything. Um, in, in those type of paths... Um, one of the things that, that has come up with me with talking with a couple of occultists is, um, you know, there, there is a point where you have to break off and start creating your own system. Yes. And, and, and doing your own thinking, basically. Yes. Like, 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 like Crowley and, and um, Theosophy. Uh -huh. like, like they're a template of like, you know, which way to go. But there's a point where, you, where like, if, if you're really an adept, that you're probably going to break off and go your own direction. You start finding your own way and your own truth. 
you absolutely must have to create your own school of music, of magic. You're, you must formulate your own school of magic. Um, that makes for the, adempt, uh, the exempt adept. And he becomes known as the founder of a school of magic. Without that, you cannot claim to have crossed the abyss to become a master of the temple. Now, for all these so-called masters of the temple out there, how many schools of magic have they created? I'll give you a hint. It's somewhere between minus one and one. <laughs> okay. If you look at all of these master adepts and uh, master magicians and the, the masters of the temple and what have you, how much new gnosis have they given to the world? Uh, again, between, you know, negative one and one. Hmm. Um, they've done nothing. You know, like we started out in this conversation saying these people keep writing beginner's books over and over and over again because they have nothing to say. And yet after they write the beginner's book because the caliphate publishes it for them, you know, this guy must be an adept. Look, Don Milo Duquette just rewrote Magic and Theory in Practice. He must be an adept. Let's invite him over to our temple. We'll pay all his fees and we'll make sure that he has some little girl to comfort him that evening when he comes over here. And he will give us the words of wisdom from him. And how dare that evil Ravelli criticize Adam? Ravelli is a jerk. Hmm. You know, La Milo Duquette hasn't had an original thought since the day he was born. Oh. Or Bill Breeze, Jim Wasserman, uh, you name all the ninth degrees of the OTO, the Caliphate OTO. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the why. The only other person I've interviewed and he, you know, he used a good, great interview. Was Aaron Leach? Aaron Leach. Um, oh yes, yes, another guy without an original thought. Yeah, he wrote a, a, a nice compendium of on Enochian um, etymology. I really, really like it. I've watched him talk on these groups. The man, you know, has about as much magic in the entirety of his body as I have in what I flushed down the toilet this morning. He's just got nothing. There's nothing for him to say. He has no idea what he's talking about. Hmm. You know, he just freaking blows my mind. Um, I, I've seen him on these groups. I've seen him say some of the most inane things. Um, and, and, you know, I just went, shh. You know, eventually I just blocked them all. You know, I would kill for him to something to say he's a published author i would kill for la milo Duquette to have something to say he's a published author okay these guys you know just by the fact that they've been formally published you know whereas i'm self-published um these guys just by the fact that they're formally published you know have a leg up on the, on leadership in the community and yet they have nothing to say they have nothing new to give to us. They have no way of bringing Gnosis into the modern moment. So, so with that said, um, what type of new things have, have you come up with to offer uh, people? You know, something... Uh, I, I I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, some kind of braggart. 
But I mean, geez, man, it's throughout all my books, but especially pick up the breviary of the Gnostic Church of Light, where I go into unique research, you know, into the ninth degree secret of the OTO. Um, let's look at scientific illuminism, where I really look at the leading uh, biologists and physicists of the day and, and bring that into, uh, you know, modern perspective. Let's look at the fact that I'm a founder of the Gnostic Church of Light, the first uh, Gnostic church fully owned on the continents of the Americas. It's an historical organization. Um, we can go into my other books, uh, you know, uh, my, my um, uh, commentaries on Thelemic Holy books. There's so much stuff that is just plain new. It's a regurgitation of nothing. Its original source came from me. Now, am I trying to tell you in some way that I am an exempt adept? No. But I am telling you that I am regularly producing new gnosis. Check out my blog, uh, everything else. There's so much stuff. My, my creation of, um, you know, and, and of the English Kabbalah um, and what I've done with that English Kabbalah, because actually a couple other people were originally involved in that project, and a couple other people since then have become involved in that project and have, you know, for example, Ryan Higgins, who's done some marvelous work with both, uh, with his library 27. Um, uh, the, uh, um, there's so much new gnosis that I've put out uh, that would be too difficult to explain to the beginner in Thelema. So I, I can't really uh, expound upon it here without, you know, uh, you know, begging you about four to six more hours. Well, I, I could accommodate that. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'm getting ready to I'm gonna try to break the world record for the longest podcast. So, Well, I, I, I'll give you as much time as you want this evening, but at some point I'm going to start nodding. <laughs> um, just because it's nine o'clock at night and I'm an old man, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you know, new gnosis is creative thought, original thought, unique thought. Crowley really describes a lot of that in the authors that he recommends you read in order to prove that you are an exempt adept, or he rather not to prove that you're exempt adept, but that, that he says are exempt adepts that have written their magical tome. To when when you reach the grade of exempt adept, you um, must produce um, a book that gives your view of the universe, your plan for its maintenance and care, and describes how you attained adepthood. And he gives a whole collection of authors that have done this in the books that they wrote and says, you should read these books. And of course, for himself, he claims magic and theory and practice. You know, let's look at magic and theory and practice for a second. Okay. It, uh, in the beginning, he says, you know, uh, he gives the definition of magic and he gives a whole bunch of theorems and explanations that follow it. And that really is his... Uh, uh, his it, school of magic being created, that school of magic being called Thelema. And if I was an exempt adept, I would have created my own school of magic and I would have had um, something that was um, 
on a parallel with Thelema. Only because if I'm contradicting Thelema, I'm really contradicting the book of the law. I can't do that as Thelema. So, um, you know, I, I would not be an avatar, but, uh, you know, who would care to be, really? Um, but I would be the founder of my own unique school of music, just like, you know, there's many forms of Buddhism. That's because some except Adam in the Buddhist line came along and formulated his own school. Right. You know, and he describes his own theory of the universe, and he describes his own, you know, plan for its maintenance and care. You know, that's really the ultimately the new gnosis in the end. But that doesn't just start because one day, oh, I'm going to sit down and write my adeptus, my accept adeptus thesis. No, you start writing new gnosis long before that. And you start writing. Remember, the first magic is writing. Tahuti or Mercury is the god of writing. And and I put this on all the groups, and many people to some chagrin. But you know, if you're not a writer, you're not practicing magic. I don't care what grade you want to claim to be and who initiated you into it. You know, and mm -hmm. how many writers writing original thought are out there? I'll claim that for myself. So I'll tell you the numbers between zero and two. <laughs> you know, um, and you could go over my websites. You can go through my books. You can go through my blogs. Um, and you will see all over the place, new gnosis. You won't have to look hard. You know, if you understand magic already, if you're familiar with the literature already, you'll see the stuff I'm talking about is valid, verifiable, and creative. Right. So how, how about magicians of the, of the past? Do you ever question any of them, like um, Arthur Waite or McGregor or Eliphaz Levy? All these guys are to be honored and respected. And I know how much Crowley hated Waite, but I think Waite did some really, really good work. I, I think Mathers did some really good work. Uh, Crowley claims to be the reincarnation of Levy. Um, and he yeah, did I'll, some I'll really say, like, Transcendental Magic is probably one of my favorite books. Yeah. Crowley says that's his Adeptus Exemptus thesis. It's an amazing book. It is great, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a line of, of mages that you know kind of form this you know sort of lineage. Starts with Elvis Levy, goes to Franz Barden, then to McGregor Mathers, uh, then to essentially Crowley, and maybe we might argue Moda after Crowley. Um, but you know, there's others that we could slip in around Moda too, from Parsons uh, um, to C.F. Russell. You know, others that have done some really good things. Um, so, you know, in that line, there is sort of a continuation of the school of Gnosis. You know, we might want to slip Blavatsky in there sideways. Um, you know, she's not really being a Thelemite or really into magic per se, but Gnosis is that ecstatic relationship with the divine. So whether we call it Thelema or Theosophy, um, you know, it's just a matter of semantics. Is, is there a difference? Um, is there a difference between a mystic and a magician? 
Yes, big difference. As a matter of fact, I have an article on one of my websites that really comments on Crowley's article, The Dangers of Mysticism. And what Crowley argues in there is that magic and mysticism must go together. One without the other is all too dangerous. Why? Um, the mystic could get lost in flights of fancy. The magus could get lost in flights of ego. And so in that way, they both balance out. The mystic is, is looking for an insight into nature. The, the magus is looking to control himself. You know, and, and in both cases, they're really formulating ways to get to know themselves. So the, 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 mag, the mage will take that mysticism and use that to inform himself, to understand the ontology of consciousness, the nature of being. You know, and the, um, the mystic will use the magic to create his meditations and prayers and, and, and uh, rituals and ceremonies and what have you that, um, you know, give him a praxis, you know, so that he can apply himself. Hmm. Yeah. So you really need both. One without the other is, you know, relatively worthless. You know, there's plenty of mystics around that will just sit there and, you know, they they just kind of eventually, you know, ramble on into, you know, uh, gibberish. Would you say like like a mystic um, is the theory, and the magic is testing of the theory? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't no. say that at all. The the mystic is really, uh, you know, uh, examining consciousness, pure consciousness. The magus is um, the magus is developing technique um, that expresses that pure consciousness. You know, mm -hmm. so. You know, one without the other is worthless because, you know, but that pure, you know, understanding pure consciousness is not a theory. That doesn't mean we don't use theory, that we don't, you know, I mean, your intuition brings you to theory. You know, we talked before about what intuition was. So and, what is, what is, what is your theory on consciousness? What is it? Um... I guess you could say because, you know, you can't relate that with words. That's, you know, rather mystical. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess if you had to pigeonhole me somewhere, you know, uh, when it comes to philosophy, I'm a phenomenologist. Uh, Sartre, um, Kant, uh, Heidegger, um, uh, Hegel. These philosophers are well worth the read because they're not only familiar with the Kabbalah, um, they, 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 you know, and believe it or not, they come out of the Bavarian Illuminati, uh, an or, you know, an, organ, an order that really died around 1906. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, and um, out of that, you know, uh, a lot of them came, you know, either, you know, just before, just after, um, uh, you know, uh, Sartre was really French. He wasn't German. The others were German. Um, and they, they, I mean, the first thing I think they say is that, you know, here I see across the room a light bulb. That's an object. 
Now I'm perceiving that object, me, Paul Ravelli, I'm you know, and observing that object. I'm perceiving it. What does that all mean? You know, how is it that that object actually wakes me up because I I observed the object? What's being woken up? You know, how do I perceive consciousness as raw form? I guess I could say I could point you to something that you yourself would know by experience, because if you're meditating, uh -huh. when you're finally in that state of meditation where you are no longer thinking, you've attained to some, you know, level of uh, samadhi. It, it only happened to me once for like a split second. <laughs> really? Really, yeah. It was, it was uh, on a, a three-day retreat. So for, for me to achieve that, I mean, I, it, it would take some time, I think. And, and also one of the funny things about that, too, is the harder you would try to achieve it, the less chance it's ever going to happen. You know, you, you have to like kind of just let go of absolutely everything. I would sit down for an hour with a bowl of water on my head, filled to the brim, and not spill a drop. Then I knew my asana was perfect. When I mastered that, I, would then, I, I then took up a mantra for pranayama, and my mantra was simply OM, uh, but I just, in my mind, it was A-U-M-G-N, not O-M. And, mm -hmm. and I would do that with each breath. I would put a timer down next to me for an hour. And about two seconds later, the timer would go off. I don't think that that's that difficult. I just made it sound very difficult. You yeah. might even be impressed by the way I made it sound. It's, I'm very impressed. Yeah. There's nothing really impressive about that in my mind. I think you can do it. You can learn to do it in a matter of a few weeks. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I had to do the mantra because about, I couldn't get past 40 minutes otherwise. You know, just sitting and breathing and listening to my breath my legs would go into pain. I would become aware of my body and I would be in agony. But once I included the mantra, I went right into, you know, almost immediately into Samadhi. And, and I would say, uh, you know, Samadhi really says you're one with the object. I would say there was no object. And when the object really goes away, that's pure consciousness. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and that's the mysticism, the meditation. Meditation is nothing but a, a formal prayer. You know, you're just not using words and you're just not asking for gifts from God. Right. You know, and um, it's, it's not, a, I, you know, I, I really am convinced all you need to do that most people will not do is formally set aside the time to do it. Oh, I meditate every day. If you meditate every day, put that timer down next to you, keep your diary on side of you, and sit down and meditate. When you decide to get up and you're done, write in your diary whatever you accomplished, how long you made it. When you feel comfortable that your body finally stopped itching and doing all the weird things that it's going to do, because that's going to take a little time. Crowley writes pretty clearly on this in, in his book on magic. It's going to take you time. You're going to discover itches in places you didn't know existed on your body. <laughs> you know, and, um, but eventually that will all go away. You will train your body. See, I'm kind of funny. Like, like that's where I'm definitely different. 
I could sit and meditate probably for, for 12 or 15 hours without an issue. Well, you know something? If you can do that without an issue, you've already spent so much time in samadhi, you just don't know it. That's, that's possible because I always enjoyed like really long, silent retreats. Like that was, you know. The mistake was that the trickster got you. You're looking for some ecstatic experience that's never going to happen. Oh, I know there's no ecstatic experience. If, it, well, if you're experiencing pure consciousness, it can't really be ecstatic. Can well, it? You, you've had, you, you said you had it for one minute once. Well, once I noticed it, maybe. We could say, how about change that I, I noticed it one time where i said oh <laughs> if you're sitting if if you're sitting down for 10 or 15 hours on a clip you know you're a better man than me <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i'm a better man i think i, I think it's just a um i, would a not have I think I'm, I'm just have a predisposition to that you know yeah like, i would, like I some would people you know, I would just snap out of it long before that. Yeah. You've experienced, you know, pure consciousness. You've experienced it so very much that, you know, it's just kind of normal to you. Yeah. And it also happens to be when I play music. Like if I pick up my guitar and sometimes I'll hit a groove and, and two or three hours are gone. <laughs> yep, I'm a piano player. I know what you're talking about intimately. You know, I've sat down to practice at like nine in the morning. I remember this is one experience in high school and I said, I'm going to practice until noon. So I'll get a good three hours in. And just as I was about to stop practicing to go up and get lunch, my mother yelled downstairs, Paul, we're going to bed now. Good night. <laughs> it was, it was midnight. I didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I did that the same, yeah. I did the same with the sculpture. So, um, yeah, and that was at an early age. I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so musicians really know samadhi very well. They know a very articulate form of it. You know, I really urge all my students, take up a musical instrument, learn how to play it with some minor degree of proficiency. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be gained from learning to play an instrument, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, if you can improvise for two hours straight, man, you 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 know you're 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 definitely going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can do that. That's for sure. I have no problem with it with doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know pure consciousness very well because pure consciousness silence talks very loudly. The mm -hmm. silent self is where the intuition comes from, where creativity comes from, where new ideas come from. These people that can't write new ideas, they're not doing magic. They've never experienced samadhi. They don't know the mystical part of the work. Right. So they understand the, the magic part of it, but not the mystic part of it. Yeah, they know all the rituals, the routines. They know what they're supposed to say. Yeah, they, they, they know the Hebrew alphabet, all the meanings, all the numbers, all exactly. the words. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They might even impress you. All the correspondences. Yeah, they might even impress you. You, you, know, you. You'll invite them on your podcast, and they probably sounded really, really good. I get, bet you Leach and Duquette both sounded really good. Yeah, they did. Yep. You know, but they don't know a damn thing because they've never had an original thought. 
Don't tell me you're a songwriter when you've never written a song. I've written a lot of bad songs. I don't care if it's a bad song. <laughs> if it's an original song, you're a songwriter. You know, good, bad, and indifferent is just a, a question of, you know, our own perspective. Right. So the, only, the closest thing I've had to a hit song is a song called I Got the Crabs. Now, I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of songs in my time. And I would say probably most of them were garbage. You know, um, but, you know, I had some good ones over time. As a matter of fact, you go on our website, you'll find some of my old songs. Awesome. Um, but, uh, and, and they, they're definitely stuck in their time, if you know what I mean. You definitely so, have that Dr. John type of voice. Um, yeah, I guess a little bit. I'm, I'm definitely into blues, although I was far more, um, you know, punk and new wave in my songwriting days. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, but your but voice today, now sounds so much like Dr. John. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. I'm right, please. Or, or, or like a, um, or Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, Tom Waits. I went in my refrigerator. <laughs> They're both from the same school of, you know, really cool blues guys. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. Uh, great material. I'm a Patti Smith freak. She's my personal goddess and savior. <laughs> yeah, I would say my all-time favorite band. Well, there's two. There's two bands that really changed my life. One, I think I was about 12 years old, and I was watching TV, and I saw Alice Cooper on TV. <laughs> and, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to be when I grow up, you know? <laughs> I'm 18, and I don't know what I want. <laughs> and, and, and that was like the, you know, one thing that really affected me. And then, like, I, you know, I started playing music. I started playing heavy metal. And it was the 80s, and it was, like, all these hair bands, you know. And it was starting right. to suck. You know, I was like, oh, this just sucks. And, and I went to a club one night, and I saw the cramps. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, what did I just see? <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "That's it. I want to go yeah. in that direction." <laughs> yeah. They they used to rehearse. They started their rehearsals at two o'clock in the morning just to make sure they got that late night sound. <laughs> they, they were awesome. Yep, that was my day. The cramps. Yeah, it, it just totally blew my mind. Like how Lux Interior could put on such a show with no props. Yeah, well, you know, it, it was just it all helps. heart. Yeah, it helps to be a junkie. That too. <laughs> but he, that's part of it, though. Is, is it was authentic, you know. He was wearing like the latex and drinking a gallon of wine, and he was completely out of his mind. And... That's it. You know, uh, and so many. You know, it's unfortunate, but you know, heroin was big in the punk days, and um, a lot of guys got into it. I'm fortunate I stayed away from the heroin. That was just one place I wasn't willing to go. Um, but, uh, you know, cause I saw it just destroyed everybody that got into it. Sid yeah. Vicious dies and, uh, what was his name from Joy Division? And, um, you know, they, they, at one point they were kind of like dropping like flies, it seemed, mm -hmm. you know, Deborah Harry was nursing her, uh, guitar player who was her husband. Uh, you know, uh, she, you know, my, my, my ex used to spot her walking down the street cause my ex worked the studio she worked in was like right on the same street where Deborah Harry lived. 
So she'd see Deborah Harry going to the store. And just like, you know, everybody out of the CBs there was somehow falling from heroin, you know, except let's just say the smarter ones. Even Patti Smith's keyboard player, Richard Soule, you know, went down from that. Yeah. And, uh, just such a shame. Yeah, I, I was lucky too. I, I, I didn't like heroin. I, I was a big fan of Angel Dust, really. I most wasn't pe- most people hated it. But... I did it a couple of times, you know, and it was really exciting for us a couple of times because it was kind of like acid for me. Uh, but then like the third or fourth time, you know, I started having like these suicidal thoughts and I was like, you know, that's not why I took this. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to really go through the exercise, you know, on a regular basis that, you know, my life is meaningless and worthless and I'm going nowhere in life and I should just end it now and save everyone the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think I think the the uh, three months on angel dust is what made me a good meditator. <laughs> <laughs> you know something? Yeah, you know, I got I, I got really heavily into cocaine for a while, and I, I'm convinced that it did a lot of good for me. It made me focus on a lot of different things that I never would have focused on. And who would say that you could get that out of cocaine? Um, you know, because most people just got ridiculous crap out of cocaine. Uh-huh. They just became jittery idiots. Um, but for me, um, you know, the I really focused on certain aspects of myself and really hung into those aspects. Uh, but even, you know, the same thing, acid did that for me also. Um, and, you know, you finally get to a point where you've used enough of it where you say, okay, I don't really need that to get there anymore. I'm there. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so you give up that kind of materialism. Well, you know, I'll, I'll confess, and I don't mind being public about this. I, I, I still love to eat my Wheaties regularly because <laughs> I've got a real, you know, I, I'm really concerned about getting vitamins. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can take that for what it might mean. Um <laughs> You know, just, a, you know, it's it's a relaxing, pseudo-psychedelic kind of put you in the groove. You know, I'm, you know, I'm feeling really smooth now, you know. As Steve Martin used to say, let's get small. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so I still like that. And I think most people my age, you know, you know that's where they are. You know what I'm saying? They, they played with all the crap, maybe even for decades. And, and then they finally said, okay, you know, um, I, I've got other places to go and things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I quit when I actually stopped when I was pretty young, but I, I think I didn't know it at the time. Like, I would black out and wake up in weird places all the time. Oh, and, I never had that problem. So, and, and, and now, like, I like, like, now, like, all of a sudden, well, just a few years ago, I had like a, a really bad epileptic seizure. Ooh. <laughs> And I guess it's had small ones all along, but I think when I was doing, drinking a lot, it would set off these seizures, and that's what well, yeah. caused me to black out. And, yeah, my drinking days just out of high school were like that. You know, I would wake up in the morning and run upstairs and see if I came home in my car or not. <laughs> you know, and you know, and and that got me kind of sick of drinking. You know, I became that teetotaler drinker. You know, I'd I'd have a drink and nurse it for as long as I could. You know, while I'm hanging out at the party eating chips and whatever. And you know, if I got drunk, it was by accident. Right. You know, yeah. Alcohol. Alcohol's nasty stuff. It is. It really is. And I'm a diabetic today, so I really, you know, really can't touch it at all. Yeah. Well, man, it's been great talking to you. 
Yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation. I'll be eager to hear it. So I hope you'll send me the link to your podcast oh, yeah. when, you, when you have it ready. I'll, I'll, when, I, when I put it out, I'll email you the links to it. And, um, and you'll also see me posting it in the magic group where you found me and I found you. Uh-huh. And <laughs> you I'll put, put it, it on all my other groups. I'll put it on all my other groups. I manage about eight of them, and uh, I've got uh, about another 20 that I, I – I, uh, used to promote the church with awesome so, yeah. um you know again i'll get my little plug in Gnostic church of light and um yeah and and really that's really why i'm on facebook i other than that i'd never be on facebook i i really can't stand what i see there um <laughs> but i have met some good people and it's helped the church to grow and uh, that's the way i approach it awesome well definitely keep up the good work and thank you for being on the show my pleasure. I'll um, be well, and, and don't forget to send me an email address for links. I'll send them to you. I, I will. Um, well, you have my email address, right? Um, I can reply to that, but you know, I you know, I'm writing two mm-hmm. articles right now. I have to, I'm a freelancer, you know, in in the teaching profession, so I have to kind of you know, I have a million ways to forget. <laughs> so any any way you can help me to remember right. is really really good i may just remember on my own but like uh-huh. i gotta go downstairs now and take care of a couple of things and then i'm gonna go to bed and tomorrow morning's a whole new memory i'm really an old man all right so i'll send you an email right more done with this episode that 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 would make that would be really before i forget because I'm, I'm an old man too by the time i take my dog out to poop I'll forget everything that's just happened. Exactly. So you know what I'm talking about. Because I can tell from the bands, you know, that we're approximately the same age. Pretty much. <laughs> so I hope your back feels better. Um, sorry to learn that now you're, all your drugs are by prescription. <laughs> <laughs> Not all. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. Have a really good night. Be well. You too. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise. To support the costs of producing this podcast, click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot, you can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, Don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.